Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, dear listeners, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, March 5th, 2023. My pleasure to be with you again for the next hour. I am Rob Jerislein, Managing Editor-Publisher of Outdoor News, and I've been the host here on WCCO Outdoors on Sunday nights since last fall. I'm coming off a big weekend manning the outdoor news booth down in Des Moines for the Iowa Deer Classic. We just launched an Iowa Outdoor News webpage, and I was down there promoting that to the fine people in Iowa. Mid-March is one of the busiest times of years for sports shows catering to the outdoor industry, and next weekend is going to be absolutely epic. We've got the Northwest Sports Show, which begins this Thursday at the Minneapolis Convention Center and runs through next Sunday. I will be down there all four days, so really looking forward to interacting with readers, listeners of this broadcast all next weekend at that event. Uh, We also have the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic, which kicks off Friday, March 10th. That's down at Canterbury Park in Shakopee. I believe the first year of that show was in 2016, but if you're into deer at all, it's, uh, it's really a great event. So if you love white-tailed deer, excellent show at Canterbury Park next weekend. And then to subdivide the great outdoors even a little more, there's the Minnesota Muskie Expo. That's at the Warner Coliseum on the state fairgrounds. Again, runs March 10th to 12th. Like I said, I'll for sure be a Northwest Sports Show. I expect to get to at least one of those other shows and looking forward to seeing folks out there having a good time getting ready for open water and other spring 2023 activities. I've got three segments coming up with three individual guests that I'm looking forward to chatting with. One is John Hansen from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. We're going to talk to him a little bit about some new fishing regulations for long-nose and short-nose gar. Those new regulations kicked in on March 1st. There are some other fishing regulations that will be unfolding this spring, and we'll talk to John about that a little bit. Then my old buddy Joe Albert will be with us at the bottom of the hour. Joe is the communications coordinator for the Minnesota DNR's Division of Enforcement, a former co-worker of mine, longtime friend. We're going to talk a couple things with Joe. One, we've got some deadlines kicking in tomorrow. We talked about that last week uh, for fish house removal deadlines across the state. We'll chat about that a bit. Also, Joe is a big-time bass fisherman. I think in another life he would have been a professional bass fisherman. And we'll talk to him a little bit about two of the biggest tours out there on the national scene, the Bassmasters Elite Series and Major League Fishing. We'll close out the show with a guy I met at Pheasant Fest named Aaron Field. He works for the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, which I've probably mentioned on this program before. Great national conservation outfit, but they've always had people either out west or in D.C., Well, Aaron is based right here in Minnesota. The first time they've had, I think, someone in the center of the country, certainly in Minnesota. We'll talk a little bit about his duties and his outlook for some national conservation legislation in 2023. Before we go to break, a couple of news items I wanted to share. First off, congratulations to Nancy McLaughlin of Becker, Minnesota. She received the Annie Oakley Award from the National Wild Turkey Federation. NWTF recently marked its 50th anniversary, and that coincided with the organization's big expo that it holds every February down in Nashville, Tennessee. We had a picture of McLaughlin receiving her award, and NWTF said that she's been instrumental in bolstering the group's education and outreach events here in Minnesota. So congratulations to Becker's own Nancy McLaughlin for receiving the Annie Oakley Award from NWTF. 
Finally, before we go to break, I mentioned that I was down in Iowa this weekend for the Iowa Deer Classic. And, you know, there's kind of a neat little thing brewing down in the bluff country of southeastern Minnesota and northeast Iowa. I suppose it would apply to parts of uh, even western Wisconsin, too. But uh, I wonder how many listeners out there in WCCO land know that there is a reproducing black bear population in southeastern Minnesota. It's not a lot of animals. It's probably fewer than 30, but they are a protected species in Minnesota. You can buy a bear tag, and if you want to go out and try to hunt one in the southeast, we've had that happen a couple times, you legally can do that during the bear hunting season, of course. But they're not a vermin species. You can't just shoot a bear on site down in anywhere in in rural Minnesota, the agricultural region, or anywhere else in the state. Now, believe it or not, that is not the case in Iowa, where bears are basically considered a vermin species. They're basically a giant skunk, as far as the law goes, in Iowa. Now, that has ramifications for that bear population in southeastern Minnesota in terms of becoming more firmly established, because if a bear from southeast Minnesota wanders into northeast Iowa, it looks like identical habitat, they don't know the state borders, they can be killed, and then that thus hinders the growth of that Blufflands population. Now, some folks out there might be saying, great, we don't want any bears down here. Well, I disagree with that. I think bears generally get along pretty well with people as long as you put your bird feeders away in the spring, which, by the way, everybody needs to think about doing here in the next month or so. I think there's ample habitat for black bears in southeastern Minnesota and really across the bluff country. And I think it's a sign of a healthier landscape that can support a small black bear population. And frankly, I'd like to see the population get a little bit bigger. Maybe I can uh, do a little black bear hunting myself in the southeast. That's the region of the state where I hunt. So I've got some personal incentive to see black bears rebound in part of their traditional range here in the Gopher State. So bringing it back to Iowa, I think there's some good news down in the Iowa State Legislature. They've taken a run in the past at trying to provide some protection for black bears. Obviously, if a bear is causing damage or if it's attacking someone, just like in Minnesota, anytime you can defend yourself. But step one in Iowa is simply passing legislation that make bears a protected animal, ranking them higher than a basically a vermin species, which I don't think anybody listening out there considers bears a vermin species. These are, this is a legitimate big game animal across all of North America. So I hope Iowa passes the legislation. Maybe that bear population in the Blufflands becomes a little more robust, and eventually there can be a hunting season in northeastern Iowa, western Wisconsin, and the southeastern portion of Minnesota. It's a fun little story. I'll try to keep WCCO listeners posted on how that legislation unfolds down in our neighbor to the south. With that, please stick around for the next 45 minutes. We've got a lot of great guests. Beginning in just a couple minutes with John Hansen from the Minnesota DNR, we're going to talk about some new fishing limits. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, March 5th, 2023. I am Rob Dreesline, host of the broadcast every week from 5 to 6 p.m. on this fine station. I want to jump in now with an interview with uh, someone from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. His name is John Hansen. He is a fisheries program consultant, and he joins us now. John, welcome. Uh, been quite a nice fishing season, hasn't it? Uh, been, been a challenging one. Uh, thanks, Rob. It's great to be here. Always wonderful to talk to you and, uh, you know, chat about what's going on fishing and fishing regulations. Uh, ice fishing season, from what I heard, has been a little bit variable. You know, we had some ice, uh, some ice condition problems, but seems like fishing's been pretty good from where we hear it. Down in the metro is where I have firsthand knowledge. And, you know, if you get out, fishing's pretty good. It's just a matter sometimes of fighting through those conditions. But overall, things are seeming good. 
Yeah, walleye season over on inland waters, so uh, folks need to focus on panfish uh, in, uh, unless they're going to head to some of the border waters where we, of course, still have uh, an open walleye and pike season cooking. Hey, let's talk about a different sort of limit. Uh, we've got this class of fish in Minnesota and around the country. We call them rough fish. Over in Europe, I think they call them coarse fish. I don't know if you knew that, John. That's a term I bumped into a time or two. But uh, we're starting to apply a little more respect to what we call at least our native rough fish, aren't we? And that Part of that kicked in this past week with a new limit uh, on March 1st. Tell us about what, what happened there. Yeah, I'm excited to be you know paying more attention to these rough fish. Of course, fish, I hadn't actually heard that. I just heard the other day rough fish comes from how they used to be packaged on the whole, sort of hmm. rough cut versus filet. So lots of cool anecdotes about the naming. But yeah, we're, we're coming up, and over the last few years, we've been paying more attention. I'm trying to give these kind of rough fish a little more respect. We reclassified a couple of species a few years ago, changed from burbot and whitefish and cisco, pulled them out of the rough fish definition. Um, and now we've moved on to gar, uh, and we actually are going to have a statewide gar limit all throughout the entire state and border waters. It's a 10 fish in possession. Um, it's the first possession limit we're putting on these rough fish, and Give a little more backstory if you want of how we got here, but at the end of the day, we're just happy that we're kind of making some progress on giving these fish a little bit more respect and trying to change folks' perceptions on them. Does anyone actually keep a gar? I mean, generally the people pursuing them are bull fishermen, right? And is it more just to say, hey, you don't need to kill more than 10 gar per day, or do people bring them home? Yeah, good question. Um, I personally have never eaten a gar. Some people say they bring home gar and eat them. Um, but most, from what we understand and from what we've observed, is most are, are shot um, with, you know, bow fishing and then generally discarded and put often into, you know, fields for fertilizer. But like I said, people do eat them. I think they're a pain in the butt to fillet, you know, like they are this cool ancient fish that you need basically a hacksaw to get through their skin. Right. Um, and scales. Right. So, you know, wanting to fillet any more than 10 of them seems kind of reasonable. But this is this is kind of a starting point just to try to put some value on these on these critters. And they really, you know, show that they do have a role, kind of ecologically valuable role in our in our systems. Um, and they're not just trash fish, as they unfortunately long have been thought to be. You go down south and they got those alligator gar. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those or even seen photos, but uh, those babies get really big. I mean, 50, 60, 70 pounds, I think. Totally, totally. I've seen a bunch of YouTube videos. I would love to catch one of those. Like, talk about a cool, cool animal and a, a beast to fight with. So, yeah, they don't get quite that big here, the long nose and short nose gar. But, you know, those long nose gar still get to be, you know, sometimes up to four feet long. It's pretty rare, but it, it can happen. So that new limit kicked in on March 1st, which, again, mostly probably is going to affect bow fishermen. They're not out yet because everything's still frozen up. But nonetheless, when open water arrives, they'll want to pay attention to that. Everybody will. Is it possible we're going to see some more limits on some of these other so-called rough fish, our, our native rough fish, like freshwater drum, uh, buffalo, suckers, gold eye, those sort of species? Yeah, we hope so. I mean, we, we really think this is kind of the tip of the iceberg we started with gar largely because of kind of a uh, outpouring of kind of anger, actually, that came over some high-profile, large-scale spearing of gar that got the attention of the legislature. And the legislature basically said, you need to put a possession limit on these fish. And we, even before that happened, starting to have these conversations with some stakeholder groups to say, hey, let's try to re recharacterize how we're thinking about these 
the end of the day, we, this is just kind of a starting point. And, you know, we, we just are trying to work with the reality that these rough fish have long been sort of misconceived and, and perceived as detrimental and invasive. And in fact, the only invasive rough fish we have is common carp. And there won't be any limits for them, right, John? Tell me there won't be limits Correct. for Correct. Yeah, that's, right. that's kind of what we foresee happening is some right. kind of regulation slash limits. Um, hopefully, feel it's still fairly straightforward on all the native rough fish, but then, mm-hmm. you know, we still want to have the free removal or, uh, you know, encourage folks to take common carp out of those systems. Outdoor News has done some reporting the past few years on some rough fish research, I think particularly on like big mouth buffalo. And I mean, there hasn't been a lot of research on these species over the years. They've kind of been ignored. And I mean, we're finding things out like there's some big mouth buffalo out there that are, what, 60, 70 years old. I mean, these these are native fish that have a role in the ecosystem, right? For sure. Yeah. And we're really excited to keep some of that going. You know, a lot of that that aging work that was done on some of those buffalo species out in the Red River Basin was eye opening. You know, the more we look and age fish with you know, accurate methods, the the more we're learning how long some of these fish species can can live. And so we've taken uh, some of that, what we've learned from some of the University of North Dakota did some of the research. Um, and we're actually have started a research project internally with some of our research scientists out of Lake City, stemming from some of this GAR interest um, and some of these shared species that we don't know about that are currently threatened, like River Red Horse we're kind of trying to scratch a little bit deeper into that research realm on these fish. For folks listening who are saying buffalo, well, yeah, there is a fish called buffalo. And uh, my friend Tom Dixon wrote a book called Fishing for Buffalo once. There's a couple species, right? Big mouth and is it small mouth buffalo? We, we don't need to go into detail, but right, there's a couple species, right? Yep, big mouth and small mouth, yep. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Dreesline. We are chatting with John Hansen, a DNR fisheries program consultant. He's based in St. Paul. We're talking about some regulations that are unfolding regarding fishing this spring. So in addition to this GAR regulation, which kicked in on March 1st, we've got some other regulation changes unfolding here in 2023. These are available online already at mndnr.gov backslash fishing. And of course, the printed Fishing regulations are going to be out pretty soon, right? Yeah, there's, I just checked with the printer, um, and they should be hitting places this week. You know, we try awesome. to line them, line them up with that March 1st, and sometimes there's some delivery delays, but should sure. be coming out here shortly. Good. Well, folks need to, to go pick those up. Uh, quickly, can you tell us about some of the other regulations that are coming down the pipeline? Uh, Vermilion River in Dakota County jumps up, uh, jumps out. What's What's that about? So there's a batch of, you know, there's not too many this year, but every year we have a couple of kind of lake or stream specific, um, kind of what we refer to as special regulation changes. Vermilion River is a cool one, you know, close to my backyard. That is a unique river in that it's, you know, there's a portion of it that's designated as a trout stream, you know, cold water trout stream. But then there's also a whole chunk of it, you know, below that designated trout waters all the way down to Hastings that still has some quality fishing, particularly some large brown trout. So We've extended uh, a protective catch and release only regulation that was just applied to the designated waters to the entire river, um, just to provide those trophy brown trout a little bit more protection and also some exciting additional angling opportunities where just like in the southeast counties that we have kind of a catch and release winter season starting July 1st, uh, we're now going to apply that same season and that early or that early winter angling opportunities on the entire Vermilion River as well. So starting, you know, March 1st and then again next year, January 1st, folks can go down to the Vermilion River and catch a release trout fish right first of the year. 
Without going into detail on all the other lakes that have regulation changes, Fox Lake and Beltrami County, Caribou and Round Lake and Itasca, Otter Tail and West Battle and Otter Tail County, what's generally going on? Are these walleye regulations that, that are getting tweaked? Yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit of a smattering of, of a couple different things. There's uh, you know the Caribou Lake regulation that you had mentioned. That's an experimental regulation on lake trout where we have a natural mm. reproducing population. We're trying to provide some protection there for those adults that to make sure that they you know have a reasonable chance at sustaining that natural production. And then there was a batch of regulations or batch of waters that had special northern pike regulations in okay. Bemidji and kind of Fergus Falls area. And those were a, kind of a batch review that was the continuation of a previous review of some of the protected slot limits that we've had in place for a while for northern pike on those waters. And once the zone regulations for northern pike went into effect in 2018, we said, you know, let's look at these special regs, these protected slot limits, see if they still are necessary, if they're doing what we wanted. Well, I encourage folks to, again, go to mndnr.gov backslash fishing. They'll see some uh, specific details, specific regs that, that we're talking about here. But uh, in the short term, I guess uh, make sure you abide by that new gar fishing regulation. Uh, the limit is now 10 for short nose and long nose gar, effective uh, March 1st. So thank you, John, for uh, jumping in with me, and, and uh, good luck uh, this fishing season as, as our lakes open up and uh, we get some open water fishing going. Thanks for having me, and good luck fishing. I can't wait to get out in some open water myself. Perfect. I appreciate you joining us. John Hansen, DNR Fisheries Program Consultant in St. Paul. Let's break more of the broadcast after these messages. Hey, folks, welcome back to WCCO Outdoors AM 830. Glad to have our listeners with us another week. A bunch of uh, fresh guests here this week that have not joined me on this broadcast before. Uh, now we're going to check in with our friend uh, Joe Albert, Joey, longtime friend and at one time a coworker of mine, now works for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources in its enforcement division as its communications coordinator. Joe, welcome. It's good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you too. I know you're uh, you're really busy with your day job and, and a couple of kids enjoying uh, winter 2023. No complaints. I mean, you know, just going to hockey rinks and ice fishing and moving snow around. Well, hey, in addition to your day job, Joe still does some writing on topics that interest him, like the bass fishing tours that are out there. Uh, Joe, you're an avid bass fisherman. Uh, you and your son, Jack, uh, you, you guys fish bass and muskies, right, uh, during the open water period? Yes, indeed. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, muskies maybe once a year anymore, but we get out bass fishing quite a bit, you know, just for fun and tournaments and that sort of thing. So, yeah, tournament bass fishing is certainly, you know, something I'm super interested in and follow rather closely that's great so you you live in the alexandria area you participate in uh, some some bass tournament leagues have you ever considered targeting any of the bigger leagues no not really Mm -hmm. i mean you know it it was a dream at one point and i always say that you know had there been like the high school bass leagues and college Mm -hmm. bass leagues when i was in high school and college you know you never know how things would have turned out but no, you know, we fish mainly the the stuff that's close to home. And there's actually, there's some really good leagues around Alexandria and a bunch of really, really good anglers. So it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of great bass fishing out in that Alexandria area. Uh, Jim Peterson, the founder of Outdoor News, back, way back in the day, Joe, in the late <clears throat> 90s when he was still alive, he'd come in and he would talk about bass fishing. Uh, the Alexandria Lakes, back when we had, you know, a real formal bass opener. That was, that was as big to Jimmy that bass opener out in Alex's, uh, the walleye opener, you know, a couple of weeks earlier. 
there's a couple big pro bass tours. There's the BASS, Bass Angler Sportsman Society, and they've got the Bass Master Classic. There's also another one, what Major League Fishing. Tell us about the two tours a little bit. Pardon me for not completely understanding, but when is their uh, their peak season? Yeah, so there's like you said, there's the the Bassmaster, and it's it's the Elite Series, and so that's the Bassmaster, that's their top tour, and then the other one is is Major League Fishing's Bass Pro Tour. Bass Pro Tour has been around not you know I think three or four years, and so there's some guys that fish bass, you know, that now fish that. But yeah, th- both leagues are underway. They start down in Florida and you know kind of move around south a little bit, and then both wrap up later on this summer in some of those. Northern kind of classic smallmouth waters where it takes a five pound average, you know, over the course of four days to, you know, come close to winning one of those things. Les Meister and I were talking about that, I don't know, last year, I think, Joe, when we saw the average size of some of those smallmouth, I forget where it was, St. Lawrence or somewhere uh, out east. It was incredible the size of the smallies these guys were bringing in. Yeah, you know, you catch one of those things and you remember it. And to think that, you know, you catch them, 20 of them over four days. Right. You know, I think it goes to show you how great the resource is, but also, you know, how good these, you know, these professional fishermen are at being able to catch these fish no matter what the conditions. Joe, I remember when that Major League Fishing Tour launched not that long ago, within the past five years. A mm-hmm. lot of talk about, you know, what does this mean for professional bass fishing? Is there room for two tours? Someone who's closer to it than I, what's your take? Has MLF proven that there is indeed room for two big bass fishing tours in uh, North America? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and there, you know, there's plenty of really good bass waters, so they can, you know, they can both have schedules that really don't overlap. I think there's a couple of lakes, you know, each year that they have in common. But fishing is a huge industry, as you know, and, you know, these guys are running around with, you know, wrapped boats and trucks and jerseys and, you know, it's, it's great advertising for, uh, for the businesses. So, yeah, I think, you know, both tours have been doing well. There's been, you know, a few changes, especially on the major league fishing side. One of their main things is, you know, they do the catch, weigh, and release. And until this season, they had, they had done that. And every fish over like two pounds counted. This year they changed back to that five fish limit, you know, so it's you get your biggest five fish of the day. They still don't do, you know, the in person weigh in where you're bringing the fish in to the scales, but they've gone back to that, that five fish type uh, format. Joe, it looks like as close as either of these tournaments gets to Minnesota this year is Michigan. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, they're not coming here this year. I don't believe either one was here last year either. Bassmaster was out on Lake Oahe in South Dakota, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's it's cool to see them fish these places that we don't really think about, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, in the past, they've been here on, you know, Mille Lacs, I think. Mm-hmm. I think they're, that generated a lot of interest in Minnesota oh, yeah. when Seth Fighter, um, yep. you yep. know, was winning those out there. and. The pride, pride of Bloomington, right? Yes, indeed. He, you know, <laughs> like me, he's now moved away and lives south of town. But that uh, that's okay. <laughs> but the fellow pride of, of yes. Bloomington, yeah. I have, uh, one last note on the bass thing: uh, Kevin Van Dam announcing he's retiring. Pretty big news on the pro tournament scene, huh? Yeah, that's that's huge news. I mean, he's been you know he's been around for a long time as you know really kind of a pioneer in terms of really really successful tournament bass fishing. So. For people who who love bass fishing, love the tournaments, you know, uh, it's like your favorite baseball player or football player retiring. Yeah. 
You listen to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Driesline is with you. We're chatting with our friend Joe Albert. We've been uh, recapping what to expect on the pro bass tournament scene this uh, winter or going into spring and summer. Joe, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about uh, some other topics involving your day job. Like I said, you are the communications coordinator for the DNR Division of Enforcement. And uh, we've got uh, some things we should chat about quickly. One, uh, the Enforcement Division is got, is looking for some new COs, right? The application period started uh, on March 1st. It goes through the end of the month. Yeah, March 1st through the 31st. And that's that's our CO prep hiring period. And it's it's a really cool program. I mean, it doesn't require somebody to have law enforcement experience. You you need to have a, at least a two-year college degree. But it, so it really makes the profession more available to, you know, people who don't have that previous law enforcement experience. And so people who might be, you know, looking at a career change or just, you know, always dreamed of being a CEO, but, you know, just could never, uh, you know, could never do it for whatever reason. So the people that we hire through that program, then they will go to Hennepin Technical College and get all the education they need to come to the the CO Academy, which will be you know probably May 2024. So the application period runs through the end of March. Where can folks access that, Joe? Where can they learn more? Yeah, that the DNR website is a is a great resource for that. If you just click on or just search Enforcement Careers, we've got just a ton of information on there with you know a lot of background about. You know what the job is like, pay, all that sort of stuff. The scope of this is for people who maybe don't have a law enforcement background. It probably helps have an interest in natural resources, obviously. Yeah. But if you're, if you're in some other field, you've wanted to maybe consider becoming a conservation officer, you should investigate the SEAL prep program. Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. And like you said, you know, people with a passion for the outdoors, natural resources who are interested in it, you know, we certainly recommend they take a look at it. This was all kind of born out of the fact that you know, we believe that we can teach people how to, you know, kind of how to hunt, how to fish, how to do natural resources, law enforcement. So we're really looking for people who are honest and, you know, have high integrity and, you know, just kind of those intrinsic values that uh, you can't teach somebody. Joe, uh, we should point out that uh, this Monday, March 6th, deadline to get your fish houses off uh, inland waters on the southern two-thirds of the state. A lot of permanent fish houses are already off, but uh, that's the uh, the drop dead deadline, isn't it? Yep. 11.59 p.m. on March 6th. So, you know, there there's a little bit of time left. And like you said, a lot of people got them off before this last big snowstorm. And so we're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of lakes with very few shelters. But, you know, if it's still out there, make sure you get it off. And then, of course, litter is always a big thing this time of year. So, you know, we tell people, leave nothing but uh, an impression on the ice out there. But anything you brought out on the ice, make sure you bring it off of you. Yeah, because we don't want it at the bottom of lakes. Conservation officers do a pretty good job of kind of monitoring what's out there. And if trash gets left behind, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get a ticket, right? Yeah, they, they're out there and, you know, they know whose houses were where. And it's, it's amazing how often they'll find uh a bag of something with a receipt on it that leads right <laughs> to the person. So I always just, love reading that in cuffs and collars. Yeah, yeah. It never ceases to amaze me. You know, but it's just it's kind of one of those things. You know, we're all taught as a as a kid to pick up after yourselves, and it's it's no different when you're out in the lake when you're ice fishing. Exactly, and then uh, two weeks later, the twentieth, March twentieth, that's the deadline for the northern, roughly third of the state, uh, yep. to to get those off. So. Um, 
pay attention and take care of that uh, immediately, dear listeners. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if folks want to learn more about those bass tours, any idea? Just uh, Google up uh, Bassmaster or Major League Fishing. I probably can't go wrong there, huh? Yeah, you Google either of those, and they'll get you right to their uh, their website, and you can have all the fun you want reading about the tours and tips and tactics and all that sort of stuff. I'll tell you, Joe, all the radio you and I have done together over the years, I don't know that I've ever really picked your brain on these bass tours. You've got a lot of knowledge. Uh, we'll have to talk about it again sometime. Absolutely. I'm always up for it. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Joe. Uh, enjoy the rest of winter. We'll do. You too. Thanks. Yeah, that's our friend Joe Albert. He's the communications coordinator for the Minnesota DNR's Division of Enforcement. Let's break. We will have more of the broadcast after these messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors. Final segment of this week's broadcast. Rob Dreesline with you again. Appreciate folks being with us on the show. We're here every week from 5 to 6 p.m. We'll be back uh, with you uh, seven days from now. Uh, hey, our final interview this week is with a, a gentleman I just met at Pheasant Fest last weekend. His name is Aaron Field. Uh, he works for an organization called the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, a really important group that focuses on conservation in Washington, D.C. and across the country. The one thing they've never had before is someone based in Minnesota. And by golly, I found out at Pheasant Fest they got a guy. Aaron Field is his name, and he joins us now. Aaron, thanks for jumping on the broadcast. How you doing? I'm glad to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Aaron, your exact title is Director of Private Lands Conservation, which is something we tend to forget about, I think, a little bit with some of these big outdoor outfits that have come on strong, like TRCP and backcountry hunters and anglers. The important point I think we need to remember is that so much conservation occurs on private lands in this country, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And roughly 60% of the land in the nation is privately owned. So if we're missing out on conservation on those acres, we're missing the boat entirely. And the fact that you're in Minnesota is not an accident. It's only TRCP kind of realized, yeah, we've got a bit of a hole in the middle of the country with uh, with some staffers, huh? If you're going to work on private lands conservation, it's really important to have a presence in the Midwest that understands how, you know, agricultural practices actually get on the ground. If we want conservation to work on private lands, uh, we need to find ways that work for landowners, whether they be farmers, ranchers, or forest landowners. And I think actually being in that community is is really helpful for that. Your background, you uh, were actually teaching college uh, for a little while. You got a PhD from NDSU right there in Fargo, huh? Yeah, that's right. Um, so then I went out to northwestern Nebraska, and I was teaching in a range management program out there. So I taught classes in plant science and range management and soil science and things like that. So what are a couple of key things you're going to be working on in the near future? Certainly at Pheasant Fest, we talked a lot about the uh, the 2023 Farm Bill, which it's hard to believe another Farm Bill has already rolled around. Uh, that going to be a big part of your focus here this year? Yeah, right now we are you know dialed in on Farm Bill. Um, we just had our first hearing um, in the Senate Agriculture Committee last week um, talking about conservation programs. And uh, really, that's where I spend the bulk of my time. Uh, the TRCP heads up an agriculture and wildlife working group, which includes close to 30 of the major conservation hunt fish organizations in the country. And that group just recently put out our farm bill platform with basically a program by program look at how do we make these things work better for wildlife, fisheries, hunters, anglers. Aaron, pardon me if I'm wrong, but the conservation title is a pretty small part of the farm bill, right? Uh, and it feels to me like every farm bill, we just get thrown 
a smaller and smaller chunk of scraps uh, that you know doesn't go to uh, to the the SNAP portion of Farm Bill. Uh, that is, you know, the food stamps or, you know, to, to, to agriculture. Am I being a little too cynical? And is there any reason for optimism uh, for this 2023 conservation title? Yeah, so the Farm Bill is a huge bill. And you're right that the bulk of funding does not go to conservation programs. That being said, the conservation funding in the Farm Bill is the biggest chunk of private lands conservation funding we see anywhere. We also, through a reconciliation bill at the end of the fiscal year last year, got about $20 billion extra dollars into those programs. Uh, so going into the 2023 Farm Bill, we've actually got stronger funding for many of our conservation programs than we've seen in a very long time. Uh, so it's going to be really important that we find ways to keep that money there and find ways to make the programs a little uh, more streamlined so we can get it on the ground in a positive way. The, the last item that I covered at Pheasant Fest was that CEO panel. I don't know if you caught any of that, Aaron, where we had a lot of, we had some of the leadership from the, from the nation's big conservation outfits getting together and talking about some big issues for 2023. One item that came up was the North American Grassland Conservation Act. Uh, a number of people on that panel saying that we need a grassland equivalent of the North American Waterfowl Conservation Act, right? Which was focused on wetlands. And that's one reason we've got strong populations of wetlands birds is because the the efforts we've invested there we need the same thing on our grasslands we've lost so many grassland acres across north america and so we need a grassland version of that to try to invest some dollars and improve our our grassland bird populations and other wildlife populations that need grasslands is that that going to be a focus of your efforts this year yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and it's not just for wildlife either. Either One of the things that's really important about how we do private, private lands work is finding ways to work that work for farmers and ranchers too. So North American Grasslands Conservation Act is going to be really important for maintaining ranching communities across the Midwest and West especially. Basically, we need to replicate the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, NACA, we need to create a strategy for the protection and restoration of these grasslands. Basically, in Minnesota, we've lost nearly all of our native grasslands. Um, we've got maybe one or two percent left. And then we've got we're starting to do a little better job of restoring some of those grasslands. But once they're gone there, we never quite get them back to the same level. This program would also create some some funding, again, voluntary incentive based programs for keeping grasslands as grasslands. And it would do that by creating a council that represents all of the interests that use grasslands, whether they be ranchers, hunters, bird watchers, all of the above, uh, to make sure that we're managing our grasslands in a way that benefits everyone. Given the state of Congress right now, we've, we've got a Republican-led House, we've got a Democrat-led Senate. Do you think this Grasslands Act has got, uh, got a chance this year at passage? Yeah, one of the things that uh, we have seen in the past is when we've got a split Congress, one of the only things that people can agree about is conservation. And we're really happy to work on bipartisan legislation that can get support from both sides of the aisle, especially when most other things can't. Uh, so I would expect the North American Grasslands Conservation Act to be introduced as a bipartisan bill, and I would expect it to get a lot of traction in this Congress. Thanks for all you do, Aaron. It's great to have someone here in Minnesota working on our behalf nationally. Uh, you're out of Pelican Rapids, correct? You liking it there? That's right. See, I grew up here. I made it home. Uh, I, there's no place else I'd rather be, so I'm happy that I was able to do it. If folks want to learn more, go to trcp.org for details on the sort of projects you're working on, I presume. 
yep, that'd be a perfect place to start. And uh, you'll find out there how you can get involved. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us on WCCO Outdoors. Great to be here, Rob. Thank you. Aaron Field from the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Check out that organization's website at trcp.org. Well, I am out of time for this week. I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank all the listeners who have joined us for the past hour. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.